We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. I have watched the Buffalo Bills All-22 film. I have looked at and studied the PFF grades assigned from the game. And I have thoughts, plenty of thoughts on both today here on Talking Buffalo. And on that note, welcome everybody to Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you very much as always for locking in today, whether you're checking us out on the video side on YouTube or whether you're listening to this audio form, wherever podcasts may find you. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate you all for uh, checking in with us today. As I've been doing throughout the season, roughly two days or so after a Buffalo Bills game, I do this solo episode. Hopefully, this will be relatively brief. And what I do is I watch the coach's film that's available on NFL Network uh, Premium. And then I do PFF grades, study those, and kind of come up with my own final conclusions on a game before I start to move on to the following one. I'm going to say the same thing that I say every week here when I do this episode. This isn't necessarily, even after watching a film or going over PFF grades, I'm not necessarily here to try to educate you. That's not really my thing. That's not what I'm good at. Uh, If you're looking for that, I say it over and over again. Because I mean, it. Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills, um, Eric Turner from Cover One, Anthony Brohaska from Cover One. Those guys are so, so good at breaking down film, talking about specific plays, schemes, gaps, zones, all that stuff. So go there for that because those guys truly are the best. Not really what this episode and what this podcast is all about. Basically, by watching the film and and pouring over the grades like I do every week, it kind of takes my opinion, my initial opinion after watching the game. You know, moments after the game, you kind of form an opinion. And after you watch the film, And after you look at grades and stuff like that, sometimes it will strengthen the opinion that you had. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I was right about this. Or in some cases, it might loosen an opinion previously that you had. And I might look at some film and be like, you know what? I thought this guy played really good, but maybe he didn't or vice versa. So that's kind of what I do with this. Um, I have three big takeaways from the game every week. Then I kind of go positionally 
uh, throw out some numbers at you, some grades from PFF, uh, a couple of clips that I might have watched on that player and give you some thoughts on that and kind of just fly through uh, positionally a couple of thoughts on the next opponent and then uh, get you out of here. So that's what we're going to do today. No different. In fact, I'm going to dive in right now. I want to say that there were two things when I turn on the uh, the coaches all 22 film that I planned on locking in the most on. Number one, uh, making his first start, I wanted to look at Dorian Williams because I thought, to the naked eye anyway, I thought he played a pretty damn good game on Sunday night against New York and uh, kind of wanted to see if that was the case. I'll have thoughts on that in a few minutes here. And then the other thing was the wide receivers. Well, the secondary pass catchers, I should say, tight ends, running bats, et cetera, et cetera, because it felt to me watching the game Sunday that there were times where it just felt like Josh Allen was forcing the ball over and over again to uh, Stefan Diggs, especially in the first half. So I wanted to turn on the film, get those end zone in, in uh, high views and see if maybe wide receivers were open and Josh just wasn't looking at them or, or finding them, or if maybe there's just an issue with coaching and guys aren't getting schemed open, or maybe some of these players simply aren't getting any kind of separation. So those were the two things I wanted to lock in on going in. Um, leaving the film, I will say, and I have three big takeaways. Number one, I do think to some extent the Bills have a Ken Dorsey problem right now. I really do. And I know that's low-hanging fruit. Uh, I talked about this on the show yesterday with my buddy Tone Pucks. And I know, you know, this is a hot topic going around all Bills fans talk, whether it's social media, the water cooler, wherever it may be. You know, when you run 250, 300 plays, whatever it may be so far this year for the Bills, you're obviously going to have a handful of them that are just head scratchers. Like, what in God's name are you doing? Certainly was the case on one play, at least last Sunday night. It's second and goal from like the three-inch line in the Bills. Call a shotgun play to uh, LaDavis Murray, a run that gets stuffed. And now next thing you know, it's third and goal from the three. It just blew my mind to see something like that. Why you don't put Josh Allen under center and, and run that tush push? Or even if it's he's under center, and you just want a quick dive to Latavius Murray. I, I just, I hated that call with such a passion. And there's been like maybe four or five calls this year that I'm like, oh my God, what in the hell are the Buffalo Bills doing? Um, so it's that. It's, again, like I said here at the top, there's just, the Bills aren't getting any offensive production outside of Stefan Diggs and to a lesser extent anyway, Gabe Davis. Like where is... The secondary weapons, where's that help coming from? Why is Deontay Hardy and Khalil Shakir and Trent Shurfield having little to no factor in the passing game? Why are the tight ends not more effective? Why are the running backs not effective in the passing game? You want to hear maybe one of my biggest stats of the day and not in a good way from this Bills game on Sunday night when it comes to Ken Dorsey in the play calls? And granted, maybe a little bit of this is on the quarterback as well, but I still feel like scheme somebody open a running back. Zero targets for 60 minutes of football. Not one target in the passing game nor running back. Forget about a catch. Not even a target. That's a coaching issue to me. So I, I got some issues with Ken Dorsey. Tone Pucks yesterday described the office right now was kind of wayward. Couldn't agree more. And watching the film really strengthened that. Uh, number two, another big takeaway is Vaughn Miller. Look, he's not there yet. He's not even close to what he's been throughout his career. But you can see a big improvement on film, Vaughn Miller, this week as opposed to last week in London. He didn't play that many more snaps. I think he played 27 snaps against the Giants 
20 against uh, the Jaguars, which all came early because he had a baseball cap out on the sidelines, as we all know, late in that game in London and didn't play. But anyway, that game against Jacksonville, for him anyway, literally looked like maybe a first preseason game. He was just out there kind of testing the knee, getting it loose, running around a little bit, just straight back uh, towards the quarterback, no bend whatsoever, and uh, stuff like that. Like I said, I, it just felt like a a preseason effort from Vaughn Miller, which would be understandable, by the way, your first game back from an ACL. So I, I get that. This week didn't really do much more. However, you could see a different Vaughn Miller. Like you could see a pretty significant improvement on film. Starting the time, the snap a little bit more, definitely looked a little bit quicker, um, a little more bendy. Like, again, not really a, an arsenal of moves. You're not seeing what Vaughn Miller could do, but you're seeing more this week than you did last week. I, I came away from watching the film on this game thinking, you know, this guy's, if everything goes well, maybe one, two games more at the most, and, and I think you're going to see Vaughn Miller uh, fully wrapped up. So that was a little bit encouraging to see, even if he didn't actually make any plays, so to speak, during the Giants game. You can kind of see him ramping up uh, a little bit more. And then the other thing after watching the film, Brandon Bean, you know, we I've talked about this pretty much since the time the injuries happened to Milano and Daquan Jones and to uh, Trey White. I, Brandon Bean's got a, in my opinion, at least anyway, I, I think he's going to need to explore the trade market for defensive tackle, which of the three, I thought far and away going into this game was the least of their problems. I've been pretty high on Puna Ford since the Bills signed him. But I got to be honest with you now. I mean, he's fallen. He is behind Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle on the depth chart. He was inactive three times already this year. So now with Daquan Jones out, Jordan Phillips got the start. Daquan or um, Puna Ford is active. And I didn't, I wasn't impressed. I, now, maybe, you know, other people might watch the film and see things differently. He had 19 snaps. And I'm not saying he had 19 non-productive, useless snaps. But I wasn't wasn't really impressed with what I saw. In fact, the one drive where the Giants actually ran the ball down the field, it was back-to-back -back runs, traps from Saquon Barkley that went for very big gains on consecutive plays. Punafor was in there for both those snaps. And then right after that second one, he got pulled. And he didn't get pulled because he was tired because it was the start of the drive. So it's two plays and he was out. So I, I don't like what I'm seeing from him. Tim Settle had a good summer, a pretty good, uh, pretty good preseason, but I haven't really seen much from him in the summer. Jordan Phillips, I might even, first of all, I'm not even sure he's like a, a true one tech, but he can make plays. But the problem with Jordan Phillips, and you know this, you're a Bills fan watching or listening right now. Jordan Phillips is streaky. He go he makes big splashy plays, and then he kind of disappears. He also misses a lot of tackles. He's got one of the lowest, he might even have the lowest uh, PFF tackling grade on this football team right now. Plus, he gets hurt a lot. So can you rely on him to uh, stay healthy? So I think defensive tackle might be a position where Brandon B might have to go out before this trade deadline and uh, make a move because I'm not really liking what I'm seeing from Ford or Settle, and I just don't fully trust um, Jordan Phillips right now to stay healthy and to just consistently be productive. And going into this game, I'm like, corner is far more significant. 
and linebacker is far more significant, and maybe it still is, but when it comes to the linebacker, I don't know, man. I'm starting to to warm up a little bit to Dorian Williams each week getting better and saying to myself, well, the Bills aren't going to go on and get a Matt Milano in the trade market, and if that's not the case, which they're not, they might already have Dorian and Dorian Williams. They might have someone who's more gifted than whatever they may be able to fetch in the trade market. I still would love a corner. And maybe he, you know, maybe Randy can get a corner and a defensive tackle. But I'm starting to think defensive tackle is going to take priority because better teams are going to run the football down the Bills' throat. You go all the way back to the Cincinnati playoff game last year. We saw what happened when Daquan Jones was hurt and didn't play. Got a little bit of a taste playing a really shitty team on Sunday night. But even still, you got a little bit of a taste at what could happen when you don't got, got to quad out there um, anchored. And then another two, Ed Oliver played a shitload of snaps. I don't have him right in front of me. I should, but I don't. I'm talking about numbers and I don't have it in front of me. But Ed Oliver played a lot of snaps and you don't want him playing that many snaps every week. But if you can't trust the other guys with him, uh, that's a trend that's probably going to continue. So those are my three biggest thoughts right now. The Ken Dorsey one, which again, that's the obvious um, being maybe having to look to the trade market to find a defensive tackle. I, I think that's going to become a real possibility. And then Vaughn Miller. I did like what I saw with him ramping up a little bit more uh, than he did in week one. Going to fly through a lot of these positions because again, I don't want to keep you here all day, but these are like grades that PFF assigned and then maybe some other stats and a thought or two on each quarterback. Josh Allen. 72.2 overall grade from PFF, which is his lowest actually since the Jets game. Uh, 19 to 30 for 169 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. The 169 yards passing was a season low. Not a great game for Josh. You, you, you see it on, on film too. I think there were a couple times, a couple bad throws, maybe a couple bad decisions, um, a couple forces into uh, Stefan Diggs. Not that there were a lot of open receivers all over the football field, you know, throughout the game that he just wasn't seeing. Although there was one where uh, if he looked, Trent Shurfield, uh ran a seam down the middle of the field, probably would have been an easy touchdown. But for whatever reason, Josh didn't see him on that particular play. Uh, the one interception he had was actually a bad decision. You know, the last couple of games, Josh is throwing interceptions, but they've basically been third down, let's throw a bomb. And if it's intercepted, it's basically a punt. This was a uh, a force in the middle of the field to uh, to Stephon Diggs. The linebacker got a hand on the ball, deflected it, and then it was intercepted there. So not a great decision. That said, he didn't play bad. He did some Josh Allen things in the second half when the Bills really needed it, especially that touchdown pass to Quinton Morris. I'll tell you, I said at the time, and when you watch it on film, you just appreciate it even more. Patrick Mahomes is probably the only quarterback in the NFL besides Josh Allen that can make that play. And that's the kind of, that's what you live with, with, with Josh Allen. You know, you're going to live with a bad turnover. You're going to live with a, a bad decision here and there because he redeems himself. He makes up for it. He does things that very few people in this league can do. Simple as that. So anyway, Josh is not bad, but not, not a good game by his standards. Uh, for the season, though, he's doing really well. You know, you would think all these interceptions and, and some of these mistakes that he might be down there a little bit when it comes to grades and things like that, but it's not the case. For the season, Josh Allen has an 88.6 um, PFF grade overall, which is third best 
among all quarterbacks in the NFL. Only Tua and Lamar Jackson are graded higher. And then his passing grade from PFFs in 86.5, which only Tua and Jerry Goff so far this season have bested. So <laughs> there's a lot of things to worry about in the Buffalo Bills. And assuming his shoulder is okay, of course, because uh, he did have an x-ray after the game. And Sean McDermott says a little bit sore on Monday, but Josh Allen is literally the least of your worries on this football team. Our running backs, James Cook, you know, a, a pretty nice bounce back after just an absolute disaster in London against the Jags where he had minus one yards, total yards, minus one. Um, he had a 72.3 run grade on Sunday night, 14 carries for 71 yards. Uh, he had 36 yards after contact, again, after having only five yards after contact against Jacksonville uh, the week before. A lot of zone runs for him, eight of them, most on the season. But again, I mentioned this at the top. What I don't like about James Cook, and this isn't really his fault, this is a more of a Ken Dorsey and maybe to a smaller extent Josh Allen thing, no targets in the passing game. James Cook is too valuable in the passing game to not even throw him the ball once. Whether it's a wheel route, whether it's a quick slant, whether it's dumping it to him in the flat, whether it's a, a an attempt at least at, at a halfback screen, even though the Bills absolutely suck at screens, you got to find a way to get James Cook the ball in space. You just got to do it. And it didn't happen, not even once on Sunday. One negative thing about James Cook, because and there's a lot of people right now who are wondering, well, why is Latavius Murray getting as many snaps as James Cook? And for the record, Murray and Cook had the exact same amount of snaps on Sunday night. I'll give you two words. Two words, the reason why James Cook is losing some snaps more and more to Latavius Murray, who, by the way, started the game, Murray did. And it's pass blocking. James Cook has been awful pass blocking. 16.5 pass blocking grade for the season. Of every running back qualified who's played enough steps in the NFL, James Cook has the second worst pass block grade in the entire NFL among running backs. So that is the one area where he really needs to improve. And if he doesn't, when the Bills are throwing the ball, if that ball's not going to be targeted, you know, if it's not a scheme play to Cook, you're going to see Cook sit on the bench a lot or on the sidelines a lot when the Bills are throwing the ball because Latavius Murray is a much more trustworthy pass blocker. Now, speaking of Murray, 68.6 run grade, 12 carries for 45 yards. He did have two yard or two carries, I should say, of 10 plus yards. So that's really good uh, for the season. He's tied for 15th per PFF um, with a 74.4 overall running back grade, which is tied actually with Karrion Williams from uh, from the Rams. So it's been a good season for Murray. Um, and I think you're going to continue to see him get, like I said, a lot more snaps, especially if James Cook doesn't show that he could pick up blitzes and pass block better. A quick side note, of course, as we all know, Damian Harris went down, got stretched out. So far, so good. He was released from the hospital. Looks like it might just be a really bad next spring. So obviously, uh, pray for the best for him. It was reported earlier in the week that Leonard Fournette would be visiting the Bills. Uh, Jordan Schultz reported that, but now uh, reports say that that was scratched. Wouldn't be surprised if Ty Johnson ends up getting promoted uh, from the active squad. Assuming that Damian Harris is going to miss at least a couple weeks, maybe he goes on short-term um, IR. One more thing, then we'll get to a quick break here. Wide receiver, Stefan Diggs, 78.9 overall grade, 10 catches for 100 yards on the nose. For the season, man, these are some crazy numbers. 
49 catches already in six games, 64 targets, 620 yards, four touchdowns, two drops. This guy has been everything that you can want and more for the Bills this year. He's third in the NFL in targets, and uh, he, he's right up there. I don't have it in front of me, but I know he's right up there when it comes to receiving yards and receptions. And there you're starting to use them in different ways. Like there was one specific play, and you see it on film, where it was at the last minute he was in the slot, and then they put the running back in motion, and then Diggs became the running back, and it was, was on a third down play, and he basically ran a uh, out of the backfield, a, a little quick down and out, and Josh found him and, and, and picked up a key third down on a touchdown drive. I love the way they used him there for the season. 85.9 overall grade, ninth best among wide receivers. Tyreek Hill is first there. So yeah, man, look, Stefan Diggs has been great. If I have a problem and it's not a problem with him, it's a problem with the offense is watching the film. Like I said, there's just feels like there's at least a couple times where Josh is so locked on him. And I don't know if it's other guys. He doesn't see him open or if he just doesn't trust him and he only trusts Stefan. But you got to have to find a way to get other guys to football besides Stefan. It's, it's a real slippery slope because he's your number one receiver. You want to keep feeding your best player and you want to keep him happy. But you don't want to make it too easy for a defense to be able to uh, to scheme and, and defend you. Gabe Davis, not a good game for him. Three catches for 21 yards. Lost a fumble in the first quarter. Don't really got too much to add. Not a memorable game. I know I sound like a Gabe Davis apologist. And I know there's a lot of Gabe Davis haters out there right now. We fight every week about the term number two wide receiver and what that should entail. He had a drop last week in London against the Jags that a lot of people got fired up about, understandably so, because it was a terrible drop. This game got the ball punched out as he was going to the ground and fumbled. Obviously, you don't want to see that from your wide receiver. But Sometimes you just got to give, you know, the opposition credit. It was a great play. The guy punched the ball out perfectly, perfectly timed, perfect spot, and the ball came loose. You want you got to keep the ball. Again, I, I'm not uh, condoning Gabe Davis losing a fumble. I'm just saying sometimes you got to give credit to the defense. But anyway, not a great game for him. Hardy, just one catch, but obviously it was a big one. Came out of the backfield on third down. Just got him the ball in space. Like I just talked about with James Cook, and he beat the guy to the end zone. And scores a pretty easy touchdown. Uh, Khalil Shakir, kind of the same, just one catch, but for 13 yards. And it was a nice catch, a nice throw on the sideline. And then Shakir turned on the Jets a little bit and, and picked up a uh, a first down. So anyway, I want to take a real quick break, come back, and we're going to fly through uh, the rest of these positions. Some of them good, some of them not so good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, I'm back here going over the Bills film and PFF grades analysis for week six, a quite literally final second victory over the New York Giants, completely unexpected and not very welcomed in Bills Mafia. But as you've all been saying, and you kind of won me over a little bit, a win is a, uh, a win. Teams go through ugly stretches. Bills are certainly in one, at least offensively right now. And speaking of ugly stretches, Perfect segue into the tight end spot because Dawson Knox, look, I'll give you the good news. He had a 70.1 run block grade on Sunday, which was easily his best of the season. But just again, the productivity is just not there for Dawson Knox this year. I don't know what's up. I keep saying it. Sound like a broken record. Is it the coaching? Is it the play calls? Is it the scheming? Or is it the player? Maybe it's all of the above. I don't know. But Dawson Knox, three catches for 17 yards. Um, of course, you know, the last play or the Bills' last offensive play of the game, I should say, Josh Allen rolls out on third down, surprises the Giants by not running the ball. Josh makes a bad throw. I mean, let me put that out there too. But it's low. Dawson Knox has got to come down with the ball. No excuses. Low throw, hits both his hands. He's on the ground with the ball in his hands, and it pops out. Doesn't make the play. I feel like that's something that we've been saying too much this year. Game one against the Jets, overtime, low throw and overtime to, to Dawson Knox doesn't come up with the catch. End zone pass against Washington on the first drive of the game. It's Dawson Knox, both hands. Tough catch, but he doesn't come down with it. Tough catch on Sunday against the Giants, but one he doesn't come down with. It's like if you hit him, and I've said this yesterday on the show, if you hit him in the chest or on the, you know, where he can get his arms up, or, or or lateral, he seems to catch the ball. He's good in open space. You give him the ball, he might truck you. He did that to Javon Holland when they played the Dolphins. But for whatever reason, when this guy's got to slide or go down to get a pass, barely ever comes up with the ball. Just not a good year for him. 14 catches for the season. He still doesn't even have 100 yards. We're six games in, and he's only got 92 yards and one touchdown for the season. Speaking of the season, overall grade, 48.6 per PFF which out of 54 eligible tight ends, he's just 41st. So again, not good for Dawson Knox. 
You hope he could pick it up, but honestly, I don't have faith that he's going to. Dalton Kincaid missed this game with a concussion. Hopefully, he's back soon. And when he does, I'm ready to start seeing Dalton Kincaid get more snaps. And not just when they're in two tight end, 12 personnel. I'm good with Dalton Kincaid being the tight end one going forward, at least some of the time anyway, because Dalton Knox just not getting it done. Quinton Morris, other hand, he did get it done, at least on Sunday. 24 snaps, took full advantage. 90.5 overall grade from PFF, which was the highest on the football team. Offense or defense, Quinton Morris had the highest grade on this football team Sunday night. 74.3 block grade, which is solid. Then, of course, he had one catch, which proved to be a game-winning touchdown. I like the way he it wasn't a great route, but he saw Josh scrambling, turned it around, got to the end zone, and, and came down with a nice catch in traffic. Got a perfect throw from Josh Allen. So big contribution from Quinn and Morris that went a long way towards winning the football game. Now, I'm not going to go as far to say, well, Kincaid gets back, Morris should play, and Dawson Knox should be benched. That's a waste of breath. The waste of energy is not going to happen. But I like knowing that Quinn Morris, if he needs to be counted on, is capable of making those plays. Offensive line, kind of like a mixed bag, mixed results. Um, overall grades for the game, Mitch Morris had the best on the, uh, the team among offensive linemen, 67.9. Uh, Cyrus O'Torrin, 64.1. Spencer Brown, 63.8. Deion Dawkins, 59.9. Connor McGovern, who was horrible. Horrible on film, horrible PFF grade, just a 45.4. McGovern was sixth best in pass blocking per PFF for the season coming into the game. But he had a, not just a season worst, a career worst, 41.8 grade on Sunday night. Um, Deion Dawkins is graded really high the first four games, but now he's had back-to-back weeks where the grade has been pretty shitty. It is worth noting on the positive side. And by the way, I'm not down on Deion Dawkins. I'm just pointing out, you know, PFF facts here. The grades have been down the last two weeks. Spencer Brown's a guy that nobody's talking about him this season since the season started. And I feel like that's a good thing because going into the season, what were the two biggest worries going into the season right now? It was middle linebacker. And it was right tackle. And I think Spencer Brown, while not spectacular by any means, I think he's done adequate, minimum adequate. I think he's been pretty, he's been pretty okay this year. And I'll take pretty okay from Spencer Brown. He's not killing the Bills. He's not hurting the Bills. They've played good pass rushers, Max Crosby and uh and Bradley Chubb and Chase Young. And Josh Allen, well, Josh Allen, Jacksonville, Josh Allen did have a little bit of success. But Thibodeau from, from the Giants, there's a lot of good pass rushers. They're not really having a lot of success. And Spencer Brown at least has some part in that. So good on him. Um, as a team, even though they didn't pass block great on Sunday, Josh Allen actually didn't get sacked. But as a team, the Bills are six this year in the NFL per PFF and pass block productivity, which is good. So like I said, a mixed bag. When it comes to uh, the offensive line, defensive line, yet again, leading the way, A.J. Epinesa, 89.6 overall grade, 90.8 pass rush grade, hit a sack, four pressures for the season. He has an 89.4 overall grade, which per PFF is the ninth best among all defensive edges in the NFL. 14th best among all edges in uh, pass rush productivity, too, in the NFL per PFF. 
Long answer short, A.G. Epinesa has been a goldmine this year for the Buffalo Bills. I've said it on the show previously. I'm going to say it again. At the time, I was a little befuddled that Brandon Bean traded Boogie Basham and held on to A.J. Epinesa because A, Boogie had two years under team control left where A.J. is in the final year of his deal. And also at camp and in the preseason, I thought Boogie Basham flashed and played pretty well. While A.J. Epinesa, maybe not quite as much, but props to Brandon Bean and just shows that he's so much smarter than I am because A.J. Epinesa has been great. As for Boogie Basham, you might not even remember this. He actually plays for the Giants last night, but of course, you are uh, plays for the Giants now. Based on Sunday, you wouldn't even know that. So what a good move by Bean to keep A.J. Epinesa, and he's paying off big time. Uh, edge reps. This is something I like tracking. Now that Vaughn's back, and you got a lot of edges here. Um, Greg Rizzo, who missed uh, the previous week with a foot, he played 54 snaps. That's a lot. Leonard Floyd, 45. Vaughn Miller, we mentioned him earlier, 27. Epinesa played 21, which I think is a really good sweet spot for him. Shaq played 13. And uh, Kingsley Jonathan played five. By the way, Shaq stood out too. He had a really high PFF grade. Um, 79.8 pressure, 71.3 against the run. Had a really big stop on third down on the very first drive of the game. So I like Shaq's game. And you got one, two, three, was that six? Holy shit, man, six. Defensive ends, six capable defensive ends on this team. I don't know how many weeks they're going to go out and play with six defensive ends active on the game name roster, but this is deepest, by far, deepest position uh, on this team. Defensive tackle, like I said, with, with no Daquan Jones, if you're wondering about the rep distribution among the other three, not at Oliver, Jordan Phillips, 20 or 37, I'm sorry. Tim Settle, 19. Puna Ford, 19. None of them did much. Uh, Phillips had two pressures, but only had a 26.3 tackle grade. Seems to be the problem with Jordan Phillips a lot if you watch the film. Like he he penetrates well, gets in the gets in the gaps, pressures the quarterback a lot, just but doesn't finish the play. Misses a lot of tackles, and you can see that with the PFF grade. Uh, I talked about earlier, Rapuna Ford, just a non-factor to me, a disappointing non-factor too. Maybe you don't agree. I'm sure maybe some film people won't agree either, but. I saw him get pulled after two Barkley runs, and I just, I don't know, I wasn't impressed with Puna Ford at all. Um, Ed Oliver, a lot of people say he didn't play a good game. And if you look at PFF, you, you can see why, because they only gave him a 38.6 uh, grade, which was the lowest on the football team on Sunday. Offense or defense, Ed Oliver had the worst grade PFF-wise of the entire team. 37.1 in run defense, 57.9 pressure grade. And then he also had a, a, quite frankly, a really idiotic uh, personal foul penalty for basically a headbutt. But you can watch if you, again, if you watch the film, I thought he did some things well. Um, he, he was pushing tackles. He, he was pushing guys in the holes. He played better on film, I think, than what you see on the stat sheet and what you see with the, uh, the PFF grades. Now, that said... He's been a splash player this season. He's made a lot of impactful plays and didn't really see that on Sunday. But you know what? Didn't really need it. Going forward, though, when they start playing the better teams, at least anyway, I think we'll see if Ed Oliver is going to be the same player he was early in the season when he had Daquan Jones alongside him, who just commanded so much damn attention. So that's something to monitor uh, going forward. Linebackers, Jarrell Bernard... I'm almost talking about him like an afterthought 
because I'm waiting so long on his show to talk about him, but he's not. And I'm a little bit puzzled by PFF. Sometimes I say this at least once or twice a week. I'm like, I watch a game and I'm like, I think this guy played good. Then I watch the film and I'm like, wow, I think this guy really made some good plays. Then you look at the PFF grades and you're like, well, this grade kind of fucking sucks. I'm puzzled when it comes to him. He only had a 42.0 overall grade, which was the second lowest on the team behind only uh, or ahead of only Ed Oliver. Run grade 53.6, which again, I don't get. He had three tackles for losses, including two big, big stops. Uh, coverage grade 39.2, which I could see that. He struggled a little bit in pass coverage. Darren Waller was beating the, the linebackers here and there. Giants had some success. Terod did throw in the ball in the middle of the field. He had what could have been you know, a, a game-costing uh, defensive penalty in the end zone right at the very end of the game. That said, though, man, I'm so good with Terrell Bernard right now. I really am. feel like he's uh, he's like the kid who, you know, he's just growing right in front of your eyes every week. Fun to watch. And I, I'm tired of saying the same thing week after week about me being wrong about him before the season, saying he was doo-doo, saying Terrell Dodson, who, by the way, not happy after the game, but you know, it's not my place to really tell that story right now. Um, anyway, but Terrell Bernard is just growing in front of us. He, he's getting better every game. I didn't think he was going to be that guy. And he's still got some shit to prove, too. Like He's not all the way there yet. But, man, the canvas so far looks really good, man. He's, he's putting together a really nice painting through uh, six games of the season. I like him a lot. Dorian Williams, I mentioned him right at the beginning of the podcast. That was one of the two guys I really wanted to lock in on. And 65.4 overall grade. 73.5 run grade looked really good. 57.4 coverage, not great. 10 tackles, a quarterback hit. Things are improve on for sure. But you can really see the ceiling when it comes to Dorian Williams. And I'll tell you, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. It just came out on Tuesday because, uh, you know, I'm taping the show. got other things going on. But I can't wait till I get an opportunity to go to uh, cover one on their YouTube channel. And Eric Turner, they got a 20-minute film. Uh, entirely dedicated to Dorian Williams and what he did on Sunday night against the Giants, how he played. I can't wait to really consume that and uh, and check that out. My eyes tell me that this is a kid who still has some issues with tackling, you know, just experience at this point, tackling and a lack of experience. But man, you could see the physical traits that he has. And I, I think they're off the charts. There's one play that you could see on film. It was a... a I just remember saying, is this Tremaine Edmonds? Because he looked like him and he got out to the flat pass coverage and broke up a pass along the sideline. I think the Giants might have been in the red zone too on this pass play. Just you see a lot of good things. There's one run, one play specifically too, where he's on the line and kind of scrapes off a block and bam, hits the guy, meets him right in the hole. Really good play by him. I like Dorian Williams. He ain't Matt Milano. Very few linebackers in the NFL, if any right now off are off ball linebackers like Matt Milano. But I tell you, base one game, I get it. But my urgency right now to trade for a linebacker lessened a little bit after watching this game and then the film. I think Dorian Williams might be all right. Uh, defensive backs. Teron Johnson, I, uh, people are just going to point to the penalty. And it was a penalty. I mean, if you're sitting here right now and watching and listening to the show and you're trying to defend and say that that shouldn't have been a call, it was a good no call, you're crazy. It was a penalty. 
Stop it. That said, throw that play out. Teron Johnson is so good. He's maybe the most underrated player on the Bills, and he's maybe one of the most underrated players in the NFL. He's one of the best slot corners in the NFL, period. Uh, 84.5 overall grade, best among all Bills DBs on Sunday night. 88.7 tackle grade from PFF was the highest on the team Sunday. Again, these games, this film, it's easy to see why Teron Johnson is regarded by many football people, certainly, as one of the best slot corners in the NFL. He was fantastic. Christian Benford was pretty good. Made the biggest play of his career, a, a fourth down pass breakup, a beautiful pass breakup, too, down the sideline. Should have put the game away if Dawson Knox hits or if uh, Josh Allen hits Dawson Knox on that third down play. Giants wouldn't even see the ball. That was kind of made possible because of a great play by Benford. Uh, 70.8 overall grade, best of the season for him. Definitely something to build off with him. Uh, seven targets, six catches for 63 yards. Not beautiful, but you're not going to kill your team giving up those numbers either. Uh, Kyrie Lum, 66.6 overall grade. Honestly, I feel like that grade might be better than what he deserved. That said, he was better than he was in London. Um, he did give up a 27-yarder. He did get his signature pass interference or defensive holding call, which he's going to get every time you ever see him out on the football field at least once. I don't care if it's a regular season game. I don't care if it's a preseason game. I don't care if it's a training camp practice. Your boy's going to hold and get called for it at least once. That said, we thought going into this game, if there's ever a game where you might be able to get him a little bit of confidence and something to build off of, this would be the game. And I think maybe it was. He did do some good things. Wasn't terrible. He wasn't a flat-out liability. Also, Dane Jackson did not play, and uh, he's got a foot injury, and you hope he gets back soon. So kind of a win-win. You, you know, you get a little confidence in Kyrie Elam, and Dane Jackson get his foot rested a little bit because you're going to need him. If you're not going to make a deal for a corner, and make no mistake about it, Kyrie Elam did not and will not surpass Dane Jackson on the depth chart. So if Dane's healthy, it's Dane and it's Benford, and then it's Elam. Um, but anyway, not a terrible game for him. Jordan Poyer, 77.4 overall grade, his best of the season. 80.7 tackle grade, his best of the season. You know, BFF grades look fine. Film didn't look bad, but I still kind of am stuck on that. We're six games into the season, and I'm waiting to see an impactful play from Jordan Poyer. Just kind of like on the offensive side of the ball. When's Dawson Knox going to start making a, a bigger impact in a positive way? Well, I kind of feel the same way on defense. A lot of people continue to say that they think Jordan Boyer's washed or that he's too old. I don't necessarily buy that. I say this every week. I believe in his instincts. I believe in his uh, leadership. I believe in his intelligence, his knack to find the football. I do think he's lost a step, and I think it's pretty obvious. You can see the foot speed is not quite there what it used to be. But I need to see at some point anyway, and I haven't needed it yet. This defense has played, you know, anywhere from well to outstanding in every football game this season. So I haven't even needed him yet. They're going to. They're going to need him. When you start playing Jalen Hurts and Mahomes and Herbert and Joe Burrow, you're going to need Jordan Boyer to play at least relatively close to the all-pro level he's been in the past. Just not seeing it so far, but fortunately, like I said, haven't needed it. Uh, Micah Hyde, 59.4 overall grade, not really good grade-wise, other than a, he had an 81.8 tackle grade. 
but I got no issues with Micah Hyde, man. I trust him fully. Uh, no problem with him at all. For, you know, for the first time, we've done six cities now. I'm actually going to mention special teams. I have to. Um, Tyler Bass, he missed two field goals. Not easy ones. Both were from 50 yards or, you know, or beyond 50 yards. But, you know, if he makes them, maybe it's a little less stressful on that last drive. So, anyway, Tyler Bass, you want to see him make those field goals. But, again, I'm not really uh, concerned about him at all. Look, bottom line, this is the time right now where you got to figure out this offense. You know, the defense is carrying them, and they can continue to carry you for a while. Um, you, know, you look at the schedule, and you got the, the shitty-ass Patriots who you know, it feels like they're in the Caleb Williams running right now. Um, you got them coming up, and then you got Tampa Bay, who I think I don't think they're good. And Plus, you got them at home in prime time. Baker Mayfield, he's not shit. You know, then you play Joe Burrow, and since that's a tough game. But then you got Denver, and then you got the Jets after that. So this is an opportunity. The defense is going to carry you. This, this is the time where the offense needs to find its way because there's just something that's not right about this offense. Uh, you know, at times, they're under center, and then it looks like it's working, and then bam. Now you're in shotgun, and it's not working. To me, it feels like with Ken Dorsey, right now I, I feel like he needs to prove that he's the smartest person in the room. Like, he's not a guy that likes to go to the well too many times, even if it's working. And I think he should be the opposite. If you can't stop something, if the defense can't stop what you're doing, keep doing it. Why are you switching it up? So I got an issue with that schematically, and then he's got to find a way. He has to find a way to start making Trent Sherfield and Khalil Shakir, and on a more consistent basis, Deontay Hardy matter. Dalton Kincaid, when he's back, it's hopefully it's this week and he's healthy. He's got to start becoming somewhat of a weapon. You got to get the ball to the running backs in space, especially James Cook, and it's not happening. So this offense, now's the time where they got to find their way. This was, other than, the, of course, the last two drives were, you know, they were impressive, but you're playing a terrible football team, a horrible team at home in prime time after playing a terrible game overseas the week before. I don't think any of us thought the Bills would only put up 14 points. Even if you count both field goals that Bass missed, that's still 20 points. That's nothing against a team like the Giants. So this offense has some issues, and it needs to be fixed. And you see it on film, whether it's guys missing blocks, whether it's Josh occasionally making the wrong decision, whether it's guys just simply not getting separation from their whoever's covering them to get open. They got time. It's only October. And you are four and two. Being four and two instead of three and three is huge. At the end of the day, no matter how shitty that game was, no matter how mad people like me were after the game, didn't feel like a win, certainly at the time, not happy. But I am happy if you're a Bills fan, you're happy that the Bills are four and two, not three and three. Big, big, big difference. So anyway, this offense has got to find its way. And uh, the, the, the best news is if the Bills do one thing well, whether they're playing well as a whole or not, is the Bills just feast on really shitty quarterbacking. And I know it sounds so uh, rudimentary when you say that, but a lot of teams play down to their level of competition. The Bills are doing it offensively, but they're not doing it defensively, and they haven't for a while. The Bills beat the shit out of crappy quarterbacks, and you got a lot of them coming up. You got Matt Jones. You got Baker Mayfield. You got a completely cooked Russ Wilson. And you got Zach Wilson, uh, four of your five next games. So the defense should keep feasting, and hopefully the offense 
over this next month or so can uh, catch up to them. But anyway, all right, that's going to do it for this show. Thank you very much again, as always, for tuning in, for watching. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Moran TV. Also, same uh, handle for Instagram and TikTok. Talk about Buffalo Podcast, Facebook page, and of course, our YouTube channel. I will be back with a brand new episode. I got Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. He'll be joining me tomorrow. Uh, we're going to highlight a handful of, I feel, guys that are under the radar, doing well for the Bills that aren't talked about enough. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a dive into the Patriots. He was in London last week. Uh, I'm going to get his thoughts on being in London, some of the fun things that he got to do. And we're always a good time with that. So anyway, that's tomorrow's show. Thank you very much. And I will uh, talk to you then.